Madison Story Slam, how the heck are you? It's Adam here bringing you some more great and wonderful stories. Actually, what I'm bringing you is what I'm going to call the lost episode. I was recently doing some cleaning up on my computer, getting some more space so that I can do this thing called podcasting. And uh, I discovered an episode of Madison Story Slam that somehow never was posted. Can you believe this? It's it's like two hours worth of stories that is actually from uh, December 2016. Somehow, it got lost on my computer. I never posted it. The theme was, I'm so embarrassed. So there's a lot of great stories in this episode and on our next episode because we're going to split this up into two. But a lot of great stories about being embarrassed and doing things that are embarrassing. Uh, So look forward to that on this episode. Hey, our next Story Slam is Saturday, January 20th at the Wilmar Center. And the theme that night will be Liar, Liar. So come tell stories about times you've lied or maybe when you've been lied to and what happened because of those lies. You know, lies are things that can kind of mix up our lives and mix up plans and I don't know. Hey, uh, if you would like to support what we do, could you pause this right now and go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you can rate and review us and leave us a rating and a review. When you rate and review a podcast, it helps that podcast to be found by people who are looking for podcasts to listen to. makes us more discoverable. It also gives me some feedback to know what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, maybe what you would like to see in the future, and uh, it's just nice to hear from you. Another way that you could reach out to us is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and any of those. Just search Madison Story Slam. You'll find us. One last way you could support us is by going to our Patreon page. It's www.patreon.com slash Madison Story Slam. On Patreon, you can support your favorite creators doing the things that you love, like podcasts and storytelling events, which maybe they put out for free for your listening pleasure. But if you are somebody who wants to pay for the things that you enjoy, um, we would appreciate that. Uh, Any money that comes in from Patreon goes back into the show. Uh, We are hoping to use that money to do things like video, maybe get some merch made uh, so we can give out more prizes. And it goes into getting raffle prizes. Anyway, I've said enough. You'll hear from me again in the middle of the episode, like always. But hey, sit back, relax, enjoy these stories from December 2016 about being embarrassed. Please put your hands together for Allison Frankenfather. So I totally agree that I'm so embarrassed is a great theme for Story Slam. Not just because everyone has been embarrassed, but I think also like being able to tell a story of a time that like when it happened, you were just like, oh my God, like just I'm ready to die. Like when will death come? You can like tell that story and like hope to make it kind of funny. It like really shows like personal growth and that you can be resilient and self-deprecating, which I think is like two of the most important qualities to have. So in that sense, my story's a little off theme because even when it happened, I wasn't that embarrassed. I was kind of like, yeah, this is pretty embarrassing, but I'm okay. And so I think that was kind of like a first sign to me as a young teenager, like my life might turn out kind of okay because I'm okay with myself. (laughs) Um, So 
This story starts uh, the summer after I graduated from eighth grade, so before high school. Um, confusingly, even though my town is really small, we have like a ton of middle schools um, that all feed into the same high school, um, probably because it's like a really rural area, and so they don't want kids to drive a lot. I don't know. So I was from one of the smaller middle schools, um, and one of my friends really wanted to try out for cheerleading. Um, but she didn't want to go to tryouts by herself because she was like, all the cool girls from like the big middle school will be there, and like they're going to make fun of me. So I, I need you to come with me and try out. And so... Like, why she asked me, like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm, like, kind of, like, this chubby, uncool 14-year-old. And so why she's like, yeah, Allison should try out with, I don't know, maybe to make her look good. Uh, that was probably it, actually, in retrospect. But so she, like, is like, please just, like, come with me um, and, like, just, like, keep me company, basically. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. So it turns out that tryouts were, like, this two-day thing. It was, like, a two-day camp. Um at this, like, new high school that I was already, like, pretty scared to go to. And we show up, and sure enough, like, everyone else who's there, it was kind of like Disney came and was like, okay, we're doing an open casting call for, like, the mean girl in our new Disney movie. And that was everyone else who was at these, like, cheerleading tryouts, okay? So it's, like, 2007, I think, and, you know, they're all wearing, like, the juicy booty shorts and, like, the layered camis and have kind of like the blonde hair that kind of like braces the, the, the jaw bones and like they spend a good deal of money at LA Tan. So I kind of show up like very pasty in like my sort of like sweat suit that I've had since the fourth grade. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, we're doing this. So we had to have like prepared a cheer um, for like this tryout. And we also have to learn a hip-hop dance. So I think, like, my personal opinion of myself is, like, if you look at me now, you, like, don't really want to see what I would look like doing a hip-hop dance. Like, I probably wouldn't be that good at it. So, like, now take that back to when I'm, like, 14 and try to just kind of picture that a little bit. So we have to, like, learn this hip-hop dance, do our own, like, made-up cheer. And I have never done cheerleading before in my life. I'm like, how am I supposed to make up a cheer? And then, like, do a couple cheers that they were going to teach us. So it's, yeah, so it's this two-day thing. The first day, we kind of learn, like, what it means to be a high school cheerleader, like, the philosophy behind cheerleading, like, what your, like, what your duty is now that you're a Rock Falls Rockets cheerleader to be. And um, I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and, like, um... So I kind of go with it. I learned this, like, this hip-hop dance to some, like, a remix of a Pitbull song or something. Um, and I, like, make up this cheer. <laughs> and I don't, I think that's the part of the story I've kind of blocked out. I don't know what the cheer was. I don't know what the moves were. Like, I don't, I don't think I really even knew, like, how football or basketball were played at that point in my life. <laughs> so, like, anyone's guess what my made-up cheer was. So... Then, like, the second day is the actual tryouts, and we have to, like, go in in pairs. And I went in with this girl named Cassidy, who was one of the aforementioned Disney movie Mean Girls. And so we had to do our hip-hop dance together as a duet, and she was, like, really good at it. And I didn't really even know the moves. I kind of just watched, like, side-eye watched her. and was kind of just, like, <laughs> a couple moves behind. Um, and then we, like, both had to do our made-up cheer, like, with the other one watching. And um, then we had to do 
the most advanced gymnastic move that we knew how to do. So Cassidy went first, and she did like one of those like back handsprings across the entire gym floor, that like where she ends kind of like, you know what I mean? Um, like one of those where you see like they're wearing like glittery bloomers under their skirt. So she did one of those. It was really good. And so then the coach, Emily, was like, all right, Allison, what are you going to do? And I said, um, I can do a dive roll. So if you don't know what a dive roll is, I'm going to show you. And I'm also going to let you know that I'm about as good as it now as I was then. So I want you to keep heavily in your mind the picture of like five seconds before like a very attractive high school girl doing like a triple backhand spring across an entire gym and then picturing a chubby pasty 14 year old girl in like a paint splattered sweatsuit doing this I'm going to show you okay And then, like, I just kind of had to stand there in front of the three, like, judges. And I was like, so we're done. <laughs> and, and they were just like, thank you, Allison. <laughs> so then I'm like, okay, like, thank, thank goodness that's over. Now I just have four years of high school to deal with. <laughs> and, but then, then as it turns out, everyone who tries out for freshman cheerleading makes the team. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I like get this call, you know, I'm just like, oh, hi, like this is Mrs. Erickson Betts from Rock Falls High School Cheerleading. I'm just like, oh, yeah, hi, Emily. And she's like, so congratulations, like you made the team. You can come to the school on Friday and like pick up your uniform. And I'm just like, what? And I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't think I'm going to do it. And then my mom kind of just like in the kitchen or whatever just like senses that I'm like backing out of a perceived commitment. And it's just like, <gasps> and she's like, Allison, hang up, tell her you'll call her back. And I'm like, um, uh, hold on, my mommy's, I'll call you back. And so you can, you can probably imagine like the lecture my mom gave me, but it basically summed up to like, if you try out for something and you make it, it's like promising that you're going to do it. And then if you don't do it, that's like breaking a promise and you can't do that. So guess who what ended up being a freshman cheerleader? But I managed to talk my mom out of, like, not let, I couldn't, like, I didn't have to do football season. I could only do basketball season. And she said, yeah, that's okay. That's fine. Well, as it turns out, that was a huge mistake because they teach you all the cheers and the spirit dance at the beginning of football season. And then I assumed, like, when I came for basketball season that someone would, like, teach me something but they never did. So, for, and there were like a hundred basketball games for a high school basketball team. And so, for like every single one of those, I spent the whole game kind of doing cheers, looking like this, trying to watch what the other girls were doing. And just, I never got it. Like, I never picked up on it. And like, I didn't know what the cheers were called. So, half the time, they'd be like, okay, we're gonna do like defense now. And I would be like, okay, I know what this one is. And everyone would be like, and I would be like, is that not what this one is? Um, 
but uh, I didn't know the spirit dance, which we did at every halftime show. Like, our band played the Rock Falls High School spirit dance, and everyone would be, like, doing And I would just kind of be, like, <laughs> kind of just doing the, like, movement equivalent of mouthing peas and carrots when you're supposed to be faking dialogue <laughs> during, a, like, a school play. <laughs> And uh, so I was just not, not a good cheerleader. And like I had to take the last uniform that was left over too because everyone always had theirs from basketball season. It was like three sizes too big. It was like a maxi skirt. <laughs> and I just, just, you could just look at me and say like, she does not want to be here. Um, so the embarrassment, it really extended over all of basketball season. But um, at the end of the year, I won the Smartest Cheerleader Award because um, I, I had the highest GPA on the squad. Um, and I was only uh, caught on tape falling on the gym floor twice. Um, and our star basketball player, who's now in the Kansas City Royals, um, only hit me in the head with the basketball one time. Um, so all in all, I kind of chalk it up as a victory, um, especially since I was the only one our coach liked because I was the only one who wasn't actively mean to her. Um, so in a way, like who was really the best cheerleader? Like, I think it was me. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, and even in the moment I was able to be like, this is ridiculous. This is so embarrassing, but like, I don't even care. And uh, I think that was maybe the first sign to me, like, Allison, you know what? You're going to be okay. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> Thank you, Allison. Do we have any other cheerleaders in the house? You're the only one. <laughs> we got one back there, one here. Uh, so what what it's what is the whole like cheerleader thing of ready okay like what is that that's weird um, one one <laughs> I just just imagine if like football teams that's how they started football games each team huddled up ready okay let's do it. Uh, our next storyteller is a guy named Tom, and he's awesome. He is a very routinely regular uh, storyteller here at Story Slam, but he's been gone the last... I hit the mute button. He's been gone the last few months, uh, and so I'm really excited that he's going to be here to tell a story tonight. He's a draft dodger. Give it up for Tom Schmidt. <laughs> Hi. Since the last time I've here, there are new lights. They are a little intimidating. Um, so the, the uh, topic is embarrassment, and the only embarrassment is that I'm standing here. Um, I'm going to tell a Christmas story, and it's, it has nothing to do with embarrassment. It's just Christmas is coming, and I, I've been coming for a lot of years and for storytelling, and I, I really like telling a Christmas story, so that's what you're going to get. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, Christmases in my house were always good uh, with my parents and my grandparents. And I like to think when, when my kids were younger, they were great too, but they'll have to tell you, know, tell you that. So my earliest recollection was um, 
we lived in a, in a little house. A lot of people thought it was a garage. And uh, I went to Milwaukee the other day just to, out of curiosity, and the, the little place is still there. And it, just, it was just three rooms. And uh, so that's where I grew up. And my dad, uh, for Christmas, we always you know, take a nap because we had our deal on Christmas Eve. And uh, so we had to take a nap. And then, of course, you're always anxious. And so, you know, when is Santa coming? When is Santa coming? Well, you know, they, there was always an excuse. Well, you know, he's not here yet. Or, well, we got to sweep up the ashes after he came down the chimney. Uh, we didn't have a chimney, but that didn't matter. <laughs> um, but anyway, as we grew older, uh, the, the, the tradition kept on happening. So. Christmas would be all set up, but they'd have a big curtain across the room, so we couldn't see the Christmas tree until that evening. And there was always a routine. So what we had to do is we had to take our naps. I had two younger sisters, and I was still, you know, told to take a nap when I was in my teens. Uh, and uh, and we couldn't see the tree. You know, it was all co- everything was all covered up. So first thing, we'd you know, get up from our naps, and uh, we'd have to have supper. Well, so we had a nice supper. Then we had to wash the dishes. In the meantime, the tension is building, of course. And then we had to play our musical instruments. <laughs> and so I played the clarinet, and my sister had a violin, and there was the piano, and my dad hummed and whatever else. You know. <laughs> And, uh, and by the way, I was the worst clarinet player ever. As a little aside, I, I played in, in, in high school, and I was the third chair for all of my high school, the last chair in the third section for my entire high school career. So every time somebody new would come in, they would, well, actually, this is kind of embarrassing. They would... <laughs> They would, they would, somebody would have to challenge me, and I always lost. It was like, like the band director just had this thing, you know. I know he's going to lose, but let's do it anyway. So anyway, I had, played, had to play the clarinet uh, for our Christmas deal. So once that was all done, then the curtain would come down, and there all our Christmas stuff was. And it was always a monster Christmas, all kinds of stuff. It was just, it really was great. Then the next day, we went to my grandparents' house, who lived right next door to us. And prior to Christmas, we were allowed to go to Grandpa and Grandma's. The tree would be all set up, and it was just fantastic. They had this little village that was set up underneath the trees that were my, you know, from my dad when he was a little kid, and maybe even my grandparents, I don't know. I still have them, these, this little set. And the trees and the light were the old-style lights. They were big bulbs. Well, like these bulbs in the other room, but colored bulbs. And the colors were great. They were coral and turquoise and colors you don't see on any Christmas tree now at all. And every piece of tinsel was put on the tree individually. Every single goddamn piece. (laughs) And then my aunts and my grandmas, my grandmother and my aunts would take that tinsel off the tree and hang it on a, a piece of cardboard and use it again the following year. It was, it, I mean, it was really something. 
So we could go over, and the presents were under the trees from my grandpa and, and grandma for us kids and my cousins. And we could go over there, and we could touch these gifts. They were wrapped, but we could touch them. And so I was into fishing at that time, and my grandfather, you know, he was kind of like a god to us boys because, you know, he was fish, and he'd hunt, and all this kind of stuff that us kids wanted to do when we got older. So at 12, I knew my grandfather was going to take me out walleye fishing. And in order to do that, I had to have a fishing pole, right? Well, he gave me a fishing pole that he had made himself, which is... But I did not have a reel, and I did not have a tackle box, and I didn't have lures and all that kind of stuff. And I could go over there, and I would shake a, a gift, and I just... The shape of it was a tackle box. And it sounded like a tackle box. So I had that one down. I knew I was getting my tackle box for my, for my Christmas. And the next box was, I'm going to put this mic under my arms for a minute. It was about this big, just a, a box. And I knew that that was my fishing reel. And so came time, and our, my cousins were there, and we opened up all our gifts, and I opened up my tackle box, and it was a tackle box. And it was great. It had nice cork liners inside of it so that the, the, the hooks would always stay nice and sharp, you know. Well, you don't do that nonsense anymore, but that's what it was. And a few lures were in there. And then I realized, you know, the next one was going to be my reel. And so I opened it up, and it was a uh, pencil sharpener. <laughs> <laughs> but my grandpa and grandma were special to me, and so now the problem I had was to be happy about receiving this pencil sharpener for Christmas when it was supposed to be that that uh, that uh, that real in any event I, I faked it I guess good enough my parents never realized it after I talked with them years later about that event and they didn't realize that I had been disappointed and I kept that pencil sharpener until I was in my sophomore year of college and when I moved out of an apartment, I left it hanging on a door. And um, in any event, that's a Christmas story for you. Thank you, Tom. Uh, I was reminded during your story, Tom, about a different story of yours. Um, we, we have a best of CD uh, it is available for purchase at the kitchen. It's called These Are Their Stories. Dun, dun. Uh, so Tom is on that CD with this story. It's a story, I, I don't remember the whole thing, but I, I remember the punchline. Tom is, I think, freshly married uh, within a few years of being married. And uh, his wife like spends all day cooking, and he comes home from work to dinner, and they sit down to dinner. <laughs> And it's like, it just looks like hell, the dinner does. Apparently his wife's not really a cook. And Tom looks at the food and goes, I'm not eating this shit. <laughs> I love that story. Uh, for some reason during your last story time, I thought you were going to open up that pencil sharpener and be like, I don't want this shit. <laughs> Speaking of our best of CD, you know, you can buy that. You can come to a story slam and buy These Are Their Stories, Volume 1, 11 of the best stories ever told at Madison Story Slam. Or 
You can actually buy it online if you go to madisonstoryslam.bandcamp.com. That's B-A-N-D-C-A-M-P, Bandcamp, like American Pie. So madisonstoryslam.bandcamp.com, and you can buy the digital uh, copy of These Are Their Stories, Volume 1. It's very funny. Uh, I should know. I personally picked out the stories that made me laugh the hardest. Coincidentally, I am featured on that CD, so I, I don't know exactly what that says about me. Maybe a little megalomania going on there. Uh, hey, come to our next Story Slam on Saturday, January 20th, and pick up that CD there or pick it up online. It, you know, whatever you want to do. This is just that break time where we get to hear great music by Friendly Monsters. Pick up Friendly Monsters' new CD, I Am Lexicor, on iTunes or listen to it on Spotify. You can basically get it anywhere online where music is sold. Let's go back to some stories. Also, I was thinking of embarrassing moments in my life, and I think some of the most embarrassing moments of my life are really fleeting. They're really tiny little moments, and it's like, like when you're in public and you see a good friend of yours and you're like, hey, Mike, I don't know you. <laughs> like that is one of the most embarrassing things I can think of is like being really excited to like say hello to somebody you know and then like it, it's not even a person you know and because you're like, you like let that stranger see you be excited for no reason. That's, that's horrifying to me. Uh, our next storyteller is a guy named Brad and he's funny so please clap for Brad Fryhofer. Yeah, I totally nailed that name. Brad Fryhover. Okay. Uh, well, tonight, I, I was actually, we were talking a little earlier. There's, there's a variety of stories I wanted to tell tonight. Um, but I think what we'll, we'll start with is, is, uh, is this one. When I think about embarrassment or I look up what, what it means, one of the synonyms for embarrassment is shame. And shame I, is weird, because when I talk to my mom about embarrassment, um, to give you a little context, I, um, my mom was kind of more of the, the disciplinarian in the house. She kind of helped us devise uh, our, our kind of moral compass and how, wh- what direction we should do and kind of what right and wrong is. And my dad was kind of the goofball. He, he looks like George Costanza from Seinfeld. So, and he acts like him too, in all variety of ways. Uh, and so... I always took over, I always really resembled my dad in a lot of ways. I, was, I like to be goofy. And, and my brother's much more like my mom, much more disciplined and, and certainly focused and kind of knew always kind of what he wanted to do. I was not that way. Uh, and so when I think about, uh, I, was talking, I was talking in preface for tonight, I was talking to my mom, I was like, hey, you know, do, do you remember any embarrassing stories from my youth? And my mom's like, embarrassment? What, what? You were never embarrassed as a kid. You're not embarrassed now. Like, you create embarrassing moments for others. Like, that's, that's your problem. And I was like, fair enough, fair enough. Um, but there, usually for me, the embarrassment came after I realized that I did something horribly wrong. Uh, and it was in this learning that I've had throughout my entire growing up. This is how I learned. Uh, and so I'm going to tell you one specific story about how that played out for me. Um, in sixth grade, uh, I grew up here in Wisconsin, uh, in Baraboo, and, and at, uh, at in Baraboo uh, Elementary School. There, there is in sixth grade you had to do silent reading. 
There's not much about me that is silent. I don't like to be silent. The idea that you'd have to sit for an hour and read was, to me, the biggest nightmare growing up. And, and I had two friends, Mike and Jeff, who felt similarly. Uh, and we hated silent reading. And so imagine this is the classroom. We would go, right? So people, you know, kids would be like, the, the teacher would be like, hey, it's time for silent reading. And like there'd be kids like, yes! You know, they'd go over to the bookshelf, they'd grab their book, they'd go find the comfiest seat in the house, they'd sit down and read. I'd look over at Mike and Jeff and I'd be like, and we would try to find a place in the room where we could hide, where we could do whatever we wanted to do and no one could see us or maybe like we could just be mischievous and do whatever we wanted. And there was a table on, on the side of the room and it was just your typical table, right? Like flat top table, six feet long, uh, you know, I, I, there was a there was a outlet uh, right be below it, but nothing really other than that down there. So we would just go down there and we would sit, and we'd grab a book, uh, you know, that we would read, and we would grab use something just to make the teacher mad. We'd grab something that no no sixth grader would ever read, right? We'd grab like Moby Dick off the like the, the shelf and be like, yeah, here we go, we're going to silently read. So we would sit down there, and this one particular day. Um, it was, it was me, uh, Jeff, and Mike sitting in that line, not reading at all. And the teacher knew this, knew this about us, so we, we were troublemakers. And so what the teacher did, Mr. Giles went over and, and he, he sat on the top of the table. So his feet are dangling right in front of us, like we can see it. But the three of us are kind of sitting there still like, you know, we're like pointing up. He's like, he sat down, you know, he sat down. And... So I'm like, what can we do? You know, I'm looking around. I'm bored. I'm like, what are we going to do? And I see next to me, I'm like, hey, check this out. And Jeff and Mike are sitting right next to me. Jeff looks at me. He's like, yeah. And I'm holding up a paperclip. I'm like, check it out. And Mike starts to get where I'm heading. Mike's like, yes, yes. And I'm like, all right. So I start unfolding the paperclip. Jeff is still kind of watching this, and he's starting to pick up about where we're going. And I'm like, stick this in the outlet. I dare you. I dare you. Mike's like, yeah, let's do it. So he takes the paperclip, which I have bent into a handy-dandy little U, and he, Mike takes the paperclip, and he's like, oh, I know what to do. I'm like, what are you going to He's like, he soaks it and is spit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is going where you think it's going. And, but we need it. So at this point, I'm like, Jeff, I dare you to stick this in the outlet. And Mike's like, I double dog dare you to stick this in the outlet. And we're like, he, and Jeff's like, he's kind of like, yeah, 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 let's do this. So he picks, he picks up the paperclip now that's drenched, like it's dripping, it's disgusting. And he's about to, to go towards the outlet. So he's, he's carefully kind of, sh he's shaking a little bit. And, and then I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. And I, on the side here, there's a, a scissor. Somebody dropped the scissors. It's a rubber-handed scissors. I pick up the scissors, and I'm like, let's be safe here. Let's put, <laughs> let's, let's put, put the paperclip in the outlet, but, but do it like, put it in where the scissors are, so you're like, the scissors are kind of like your extension. And he's like, okay, all right. So he, he opens the scissors a little bit, shoves the little U on there, grips down on the scissors, so he's holding it. So now he's got the scissors with this U and a paperclip at the end. 
It is silent in this room. I'll emphasize, it's silent reading. The entire class is silent. We're looking out. The teacher's legs are standing here. The desks are all out in front of us. No one's sitting in them. They're all in like comfy chairs, and we're in the troublemaking section. So Jeff is now like, we are amped. I'm sitting there like, I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm so excited because I think I'm about to, like, this is, whatever happens is going to be awesome. I don't, I don't think anything beyond this is going to be awesome. And so, so Jeff moves closer to the outlet, shaking. I mean, he is just shaking. And Michael, Mike's on the other side, just looking like, yes. They get closer. He gets closer and closer. We're so excited. And then that bright, that moment before he sticks it in the outlet, there's just this, like, you really feel like you're on top of the world. Like, it's just that moment of, like, everything is good in this moment. This is when I realized that sometimes when you learn, sometimes it starts with a really loud noise, and then you learn in the subsequent hour and a half after that what you did wrong. And this is where you might get embarrassed or feel shame. When... When Jeff sticks it in the outlet, the loudest sound I have heard, it is a shh, boom, and it rockets, the outlet rockets out of the wall, like maybe that much. Sparks fly, and because they're wax-covered tabletops, all I can see in my brain even today is the skipping of the sparks off of each tabletop across the entire room. I just see it spray, and... I immediately, like, I look at Jeff, and he's like, ah, ah, and he, like, shoves the, the, <laughs> the scissors underneath his pants, like, hiding it, you know, underneath his pants. Michael's like, whoa, and I, I'm, I'm doing the same. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, we're trying to, we're picking up a book that, like, I'm picking up Moby Dick. <laughs> like, I'm reading. And <laughs> in this moment, we hear a thud, and I'm, and I'm realizing it's my teacher returning to the t- his butt returning to the top of the table. The shock of the boom that he was certainly not expecting made him sit back down on the top of the table. It's in that after the, sh- the spraying of the sparks, the entire class, I don't know what anyone else is doing, I hear the teacher yell, Jeff! Like he yells it loud and it's clear. And it's in that moment that I start to feel what would happen. And what still sticks with me today, clearly, is we have made a terrible mistake. (laughs) The outlet is black. I mean, everything around it has just been fried. It looked like, you know, something went off. And the teacher gets up and is like, I mean, what do you say? What do you say to that? I don't even know what you do. Um, And we all get hauled in. To the, to the principal's office. Now, my mom's a teacher in the high school, which I have to go to after this. And my dad works in probation and parole at the time. <laughs> so I'm scared out of my mind. We sit down with the principal. The principal outlines what we did, which, yeah, I, we, we, we got that, and realized how, how bad it was, and we could have really been hurt really bad. And it's in that moment that I look at my friends, Mike and Jeff, who, um, who I spent so much time with growing up, who I, I, I really love to death. Um, they were amazing and, and just great people. And it's in that moment that I've realized that, yeah, we could have actually been really hurt. Um, the principal 
gives us a sturdy disciplinary process, and I have to go home. And as you know, the principle's not the worst. Going home is. And I remember walking up to the high school, and here's the thing about when your mom works in, in the same school district that you're going to. You don't even have to say anything when you walk in. She already knows. You know, so somebody had called her and said, uh, yeah, your son got in a little bit of trouble. Uh, and so I walked in, and it was right there in my mom's face where I finally understood what embarrassment and shame were all about. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Please clap your hands for Gwen DeLapp. So I've had kind of an interesting problem for the last decade or so, and that is that I've been put in embarrassing situations because I don't have cancer, which is kind of an odd thing to be embarrassed about, but I'm frequently embarrassed that I don't have cancer and I feel out of place all the time. So allow me to explain that. Um, I go to the oncology clinic all the time because I have a blood disease, and oncologists are also hematologists. But people who go to the oncology clinic don't know this. They just assume I have cancer all the time, which has led to many problems. Um, as a kid, it wasn't as bad because people talk to your parents as a kid when you go to the doctor. So. The only problem when I was a kid was the muffins because <laughs> oncology clinics are really nice. Like most people there are dying so they make it really comfortable. There's really nice magazines and really nice chairs. If you're lucky there's a fireplace and there's always muffins. It's just this thing. I've been to like 10 clinics and there's always muffins. And they're always sitting on the far end and you always want one. But my mom would look at me and she'd say, Gwen, that that muffin is not for you, that is a cancer muffin, and you do not have cancer. You cannot eat that muffin. And I'm like, Mom, we've been here for two hours. You go in for your lab, you're waiting. I'm like, we, we're gonna get lunch, it's like three in the afternoon. It's a cancer muffin, Gwen, you can't have it. So I never got to eat the muffins, even when they asked, because I'd be like, now I can have it, because they, they offered it, would you like a muffin, dying child? And I'd be like, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm full. I, I already ate, so I couldn't have the muffin. Um, but otherwise, as a kid, it wasn't that much of a problem. Occasionally, I get really weird comments from my doctors, like, you have the best blood in the clinic today. And I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> compared to the cancer patients. I know, it's really great. But as you can see, there's still problems here. Um, but I remember I was really proud when I, I graduated high school and I was gonna have my own hematologist and I was gonna go to appointments myself. Because in pediatric care, you have to go with your parent. And then, you know, it's, it's weird by the time you're like 16, because then you're like, yes, I'm here with my mom while I get my blood drawn, like I need supervision for this. But um, I told my mom, I have to go by myself to this one. When you're dead, I have to go to this by myself, which maybe wasn't the best angle to go, like take, but I was like, I have to do this by myself later, so I'm gonna learn how to do this and I'm going to go to my first appointment in Madison by myself. And after much convincing, she said, you can go, but you have to go early. I don't want anything to get messed up. So I arrived for my appointment four hours early. <laughs> 
And the thing about blood appointments is you already have to be an hour early because they do your blood work and then you're there. So I'm at my appointment five hours early <laughs> to this new clinic, uh, which means I have to be in the oncology waiting room for five hours, which led to many entertaining things that happened. Um, they scanned me in with my palm, like they read my palm, and it was really weird. And I, and I sit down and I realized that no one goes to oncology by themselves because they have cancer. So everyone's there with like their friends or their family. And then I'm here like 18 and I walk in by myself and I sit down and I'm like, oh, this is going to cause some problems um, because everyone's trying to figure out if I have cancer or not at this point because it, it's not clear yet. They're like, maybe she's here with someone or she's waiting. I'm not sure yet. Um, so for about an hour, I'm good. They're like, she's just hanging out. She looks fine. Like... It's not an issue, but after uh, about an hour, they take my lab early, and I come back out, and it's very clear that I am the patient, and then people uh, start giving me concerned looks, and I think to compensate, everyone knows each other there, and if they don't know each other, they catch them up very quickly. They'll be like, oh, how long have you had cancer? Like, what type have you had? What have you done? And it's like this bonding thing that I wasn't a part of, and I think they're like trying to get me in on it by talking like really loudly um, next to me and being like, I've only had cancer for five years, and like trying to like get me to speak up, but I don't have cancer, so I can't talk to them about it. Um, so I quickly learned everyone um, in the room's story by pretending to read my book and listening to them. And, and people are really nice to each other. Um, and luckily, no one asks me anything. But at a certain point, uh, there's this one woman who's been there. And she was there before I got there. So it's like hour three. And I've heard her tell her cancer story like 12 times. And she, she'd been battling cancer for like 15 years. And all of her friends had died. But she was like a really happy person. And... Um, she was really chatty, and people like kind of got annoyed with her after you talked to her for like 15 minutes. Um, and I like didn't get why she was there. Like I was like, is she going in for treatment? Like it's fine. She was there when I left too. I was like, maybe she just hangs out here. But um, <laughs> uh, at a certain point, this other woman uh, walks in, and she's also a patient, but she's she's very tiny, and she's got these little glasses, and she's very serious, and she does not want to talk to this woman. And I don't know if she like knows her because maybe they're regulars at the clinic together. Um, but she doesn't want to talk to her. But the other lady's like, ah fresh audience like I need to talk to this woman and she like the the only seat that's left is like two seats away from this really chatty woman so she sits there and she turns her body away and she takes out her knitting and she's like I'm not like paying attention to you she's doing her knitting but the woman really wants to talk to her so she starts by talking to no one in particular just really loudly about crafting um because that seems like it would maybe make a connection um and she said I love crafting I always make my children's crafts but they're very ungrateful because I make them crafts and then they give them to goodwill, which is especially mean because I have cancer and no one responds. And so she has to make a more direct attempt. And I'm just sitting there like, don't get me involved. Um, but I'm just watching this all play out. So she, she moves to the chair right next to the woman and she looks at her and she says, well, what, well, what are you knitting? And the woman takes her time and, and she doesn't even look up and she just says, I'm, I'm knitting baby hats for the NICU. Oh, that's very nice, you know, of you to do, you know, for the young new life in, in the world and things and like trying to, to draw it out into some longer conversation. But the woman's not responding. She's just going back to her knitting. And there's a really pregnant pause. Like it felt like three minutes. I'm sure it was less. Um, and in that time, you can see that the chatty woman is like trying to come up with like the next conversation thing. And the other lady's just going to shut it down. And I've never been embarrassed after I heard this because 
because nothing stranger could ever happen to me um, in a waiting room again because she, she just turns to the chatty lady and she stares her straight in the eye and she says, I also knit burial shawls. There's a high demand for those here. And goes back to her knitting and no one says anything. And I go to my appointment and they're still there and they're still not talking and I just leave. And I haven't been embarrassed since. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Gwen. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> I really like the way you started that story and you're like, I'm embarrassed because I don't have cancer. Me too. Uh, our next storyteller has told many stories here. So please, be very kind and very raucous with your applause for Maria De La O. So this is definitely, as other people have pointed out, a theme that I feel we can all relate to. And um, over the years, my embarrassing moments have really translated more and more into interactions with men. Um, but, you know, I have plenty of embarrassing stories of, of all kinds. There is the time, for example, like at the last slam, where at the very end of the night when we're all rolling up these round tables, if some of you guys are first timers, you will witness this uh, in an hour or so. And, you know, I see this girl who I had thought had told a story that was really good, and I think she was a first-timer, so, you know, I wanted to go up to her, and I was like, hey, you know, you told a, a great story, and she just kind of looks at me, and then I realized, like, I didn't have my glasses on, and, you know, it wasn't her that told a story, it was, like, one of the friends, and, like, I don't mean to imply that all white people look alike, but, like, sometimes <laughs> when you don't have your glasses on, and she was, like, the, there were a couple of, like, cute, quirky girls there that had, like, these really nifty-looking, like, retro-esque glasses on that were really cool and like these cute little haircuts and like I, I'm sorry to whoever she is if she listens to this podcast because I don't think that she's here tonight and there was like the time in fourth grade when you know I dropped a frappuccino not the not the delectable kind from actual Starbucks but the kind that you can buy in like even in like CVS or something in the fridge, the glass bottle, dropped it right on my big toe. And I was too embarrassed to tell anybody. Like my parents were out on a date and it was just me and my sister and I was too embarrassed to tell her like, oh my God, Kathleen, I dropped a, a glass bottle of Frappuccino on my toe. So I'm like wincing in pain in the kitchen and like there's no ice in the fridge because like we weren't always very well stocked in my house all the time. Sorry, mom, but you know how it is. And so I took this big, glass jug of apple juice that was just like sitting on the floor like probably expired and like I put it on my toe because I was like maybe it'll be cold but it, it wasn't really cold so like for some reason I thought it was a good idea in my pain-induced stupor to pour it on my toe but the toe was already turning black I don't know why I thought fresh apple juice or not so fresh apple juice would have helped but I mean come on I was nine years old like I was traumatized enough but uh anyway this story was actually the beginning of my senior year of high school and I had transferred schools midway through high school but we were I was over at West High School here in Madison and I had this big 
geek party to attend uh, over at Westmoreland Park, if any of you have been there. And it was actually my friend Noah's uh, Eid al-Fatir party. I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. It means end of Ramadan. It was the end of Ramadan celebration for him, and he'd invited all of his friends. And we had this kind of, this great rainbow coalition of nerds uh, that I was friends with. I mean, we literally, like one time, it was somebody's bright idea, mine, to like line us all up in a line of like all, and, and when I say nerd, I mean we were really nerds in high school. Like I know a lot of people who'll be like, yeah, I was a total geek in high school. And I'm like, no, you were kind of a hipster. Like you maybe listened to like some indie bands. Like no, I'm talking about full on card carrying, Starfleet Academy uniform to school wearing nerds. These guys got into lightsaber fights at lunch in front of everybody. Like these were my friends. Like I was like the queen of the nerds, okay? So, and, and like, a a lot of them, like about half or more of them were minorities. And so like one time I was like, let's make a rainbow. And they were like, excuse me? And I was like, yeah, let's make a rainbow. And so we literally got up for no reason at all in like skin, like skin color order. And I was exactly in the middle. And like my friend Laura from Catholic school was the whitest one of them all, no surprise. And she was like literally pink compared to everybody. But it was Noah, Noah was kind of the king of the nerds. And so he's like, yeah, I'm going to have this great end of Ramadan party. Like everybody's going to be there. Like, okay. So we have it at, at Westmoreland Park. And I had been broken up with like a month before by the the love of my 17-year-old life, who was this guy named Kevin, who was completely batshit insane. And, um, but I didn't totally know that at the time. And so one of his friends, Rob, had expressed interest in me. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make Kevin jealous. Like, Rob says that he's interested in me. Okay, cool. i got to figure something out. So we're all at Westmoreland Park. We've got the food, and we're playing music, and we're, like, piling one another onto the teeter-totter, which, like, you totally shouldn't be doing because it's going to break because we're all, like overfed teenagers but eventually like things are winding down and Rob's not there and I'm like oh I should just leave he's not going to show up I'm already you know I'm embarrassed I planned this whole thing out in my head and it's not going to work so then he finally does show up and we you know talk a little bit and then we end up kissing and I thought you know I was all cool because I had planned my outfit all specifically like I often do and I wanted to look like Marissa Cooper on the OC who was played by Misha Barton which like not really a realistic goal for dark hair dark eyes but like I have my little white denim mini skirt with like the little shreds that like preppy girls used to wear only I had made it myself because I bought these like women's mom jeans from Talbot's from a garage sale these like white mom jeans that were too big for me and I was like well I can still salvage them like I'll cut I'll cut the actual legs off so it's like this weird like mishappen white denim mini skirt and like this Tommy Hilfiger like blue and white striped top and I think I'm all like hot shit or whatever and so my ex is like sitting on this picnic table like if there's a word for like emo like emo I don't know how you would pronounce it but like he's acting all emo and he's like strumming his guitar like really fast and furious and like with his like big afro mohawk like thinking that he's also the shit you know <laughs> and um and so I start I start kissing this Rob guy and it's like a mutual thing and um I can't even remember how this arose, but like it was something about my mom, you know, had to pick me up at the end of the day. It was Sunday. It was, it was, you know, school the next day. I have to be home by a certain time. And somehow she hadn't been getting my calls. We hadn't hashed things out exactly. So she didn't know what time to get me. So she comes to find me walking into Westmoreland Park and I'm sitting in like a secluded bench and Kevin's still like being emo with his guitar and his Afro mohawk. And I'm 
straddling Rob. I've literally, like, I'm sitting on his lap, and I've got either leg wrapped around him, and I'm, I'm not paying attention to anything else, and even, like, the horrible, like, poorly played acoustic guitar in the background is, like, fading away, and then all of a sudden I hear, oh, shit, and it's, like, this other guy, Ash, um, warning everybody, like, that's his way of warning everybody, oh, my God, there's a parent coming, like, what the, who is this, like, what are they doing here, and, like, sometimes you just know, you, like, I don't even have to look, and I'm, like, it's my mom, I bet it's my mom, it's my Irish Catholic conservative mother coming to pick me up, sure enough, I slowly turn around, and there she is, seeing her youngest baby daughter <laughs> straddling this random guy that she's never met or heard about wearing a really grungy white zombie t-shirt, like, definitely every parent's dream, so then she picks me up and she's like we need to go right now and so I'm like okay bye everyone happy end of Ramadan and like in exactly that voice like yeah the end of Ramadan in, in more than one way and so then she's she we get in the car and she doesn't really say much and she's like we're going to church and I've just accepted this already like it's not church time like it was a Sunday but like I'd already gone to mass earlier that day and like my old Catholic school alma mater was like right by Westmoreland Park so I'm like never mind that we've already been there earlier that day I don't question it she's just found me making out with some dude like this is not okay with her so I'm just like uh-huh and so we go back to my church and she's like we're gonna we're gonna go in the chapel right now I, I need to go to the chapel and I'm like uh-huh okay and I'm just like praying like please don't give me the talk again like please don't give me the like the, this is like the catholic talk so it's there's no like information about sex it's just like don't ever do it it's like the kind of like the gym teacher in Mean Girls where he's like don't have sex or you will get pregnant and die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have sex standing up. Just, just don't do it, okay, guys? Like, now everybody takes some rubbers. Now, of course, because this is the Catholic version, there's no rubbers. But it's just like the don't have sex talks. So I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to deal with this right now. So she, like, grabs my hand and, like, takes me into the chapel. And as we're going, we're about to open the door to the chapel, she sees this woman that she knows, I don't know from where. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, they're talking. And then I hear her say, like, right in front of me, she's like, yeah, this is my daughter, Maria. This is my youngest now. And she, she grabs this woman's arm, all tender-like, and she's like, I, I just found her in a park macking on some boy, so pray for us, would you? And she, like, strokes him and she's like, oh, yes, I will. And so we go in there, and I have to, like, pray my sins away. And it was punctuated by the fact that, for some reason, we ended up, I guess, because, like, she she was, you know, tired and, and neither of us felt like cooking. So she's like, well, do you want to go to Old Chicago, which was my favorite restaurant? May it rest in peace. Not there anymore. And so I'm like, hell, I don't want to go to Old Chicago. I'm like, well, I mean, maybe, you know, things are looking up. Like, maybe she's not going to murder me in my sleep, like, or suffocate me with a pillow because, like, I committed this mortal sin. So we go to Old Chicago and we're, like, having our delicious Sicilian pizza rolls. And then I look in the back corner and I see my older sister, Kathleen, who's like, Shit, I should probably know how much older she is than me. She's like seven years older than me. And so she's, you know, moved out of the house by this time. And I just see like her facing me and I, I see like a figure, you know, sitting at the table across from her because they weren't same side sitters, apparently. So um, they like finish up their food, like just as we're getting ours. And she comes walking over to me and then she sees that I'm with our mom and she kind of like stops and then keeps walking like the awkward deer in headlights pause and she comes up to us and she's like oh hey you know hey love you guys like good to see you I, I I gotta be going and she's just acting really awkward and so I'm like yeah see you later and like she's with this person and she I don't think that she had officially come out to my mom at that point um but like this is kind of one of those things where like I don't mean to I, this is like saying without a tinge of judgment but like 
if you have any kind of a gaydar, like sometimes you see somebody and you just know and she's with this like striking looking woman with this cool newsboy cap like tipped to the side and these great ear gauges and this really neat looking like almost semi-Victorian looking jacket. And like she doesn't introduce this woman to my mom and like we don't ask who she is. So then I just remember like after the meal, my mom doesn't really say anything about it and I'm getting these frantic text messages from her like, do you think, do you think mom knows? Like, do you, do you think it's mom asking? Like, tell me what mom is saying. Like, I don't want her to know, but I, I have to tell her and like, she's going to be so upset. And I finally, I'm like, I, I, I'm like, Kathleen, can you just like, shut the fuck up. Mom just found me straddling this random dude in a Rob Zombie t-shirt in a park and then took me to a chapel and told this random woman that I was macking on some guy from school and to pray for us. She does not give a shit about you and your life partner. Okay. And like that kind of settled that. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for us today on this episode of Madison Story Slam. Weren't those stories so cringeworthy and embarrassing? What is that thing where you feel embarrassed for somebody else as they're telling a story? Like you're almost transported into their past and it's just so embarrassing. All right, so our next Story Slam, as we've said a couple times, is Saturday, January 20th at the Wilmar Center. We hope to see you there because our theme is Liar Liar. So please don't say you're coming and then don't show up because that would make you a non-truth teller person. All right, so that's at the Wilmar Center, like we said. A lot of good stuff coming up. We've got the February Story Slam that we're partnered with Wisconsin Public Television for the Garden Expo. And the theme for that one at the Frequency is Resiliency in Gardening. And that is on Thursday, February 8th at the Frequency, as I said. So come on out to the Frequency, have a good time, hear about gardening, tell about gardening. Anyway, keep listening, come to a Story Slam, and as always, I love you.